This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Shortcode Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa, Roy J. and Lucille A. Carver College of Medicine. Virgilacom, as we like to call it. Please. Oh, I'm Dave Etler, I should say. Please put your hands together, or your fins, or your feathers, whatever you have together, to welcome my co-host today, Elaine Sanduk. Hi. Aditi Patel. Hello. Jaden Bowen. Hello. And new podcaster, new meet, Abby Fife. Hi. Yay. <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> uh, today we're talking about stuff. I was going to write down a whole list of things that we might talk about, like a good, a good podcaster, but I just ran out of energy to put together today's show. I apologize. I, I kind of phoned it in a little bit earlier today but i hope that you my co-hosts will make it awesome somehow we got you thank you we try real hard i i am preparing for the examined life conference which begins next week it's a three-day conference on the intersections between the arts and health and healthcare and medicine and all that stuff but it's kind of a big deal in my life right now and i can't wait till it's over uh, not because I don't enjoy the conference itself, but because putting it together is a huge pain in the ass. Anyway, by the time the show comes out, that will be underway. And I will be much happier. Um, Abby, you're a first year medical student. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a test question. Yeah, it's not yeah. A very intro level question. Uh, what were you doing before you came to this great institution of medical learning? Uh, well, I was just going to undergrad at Central College in Pella, Iowa. Mm, Central College. Prestigious university? Uh, it's, it's all right. <laughs> really put her on the spot there. Well, I, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with her. I mean, we go to colleges that we can go to or want to go to, you know, like, it, you know, mm-hmm. prestige. I, we're, we're, oh boy, already Ooh. starting out with the spicy Ooh. language. <laughs> Um, Two seconds in, or yeah. 60 seconds in, yeah. or many seconds What is Pella else. known for, Abby? Being Dutch. <laughs> yeah. Also windows. And yeah, how, and windows. How does that manifest itself, being Dutch? Um, Everyone is each other's cousins, but not me, I'm not <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> Literally, you're like, everyone you meet, you're like, oh yeah, I'm related to this other person you know, and I'm like, okay, that's yeah. weird. Small town. Mm-hmm. I was expecting windmill. Like you had a lot of options, Abby. You could have said windmills. You could have <laughs> said tulips. See, tulip I was time. I was trying to ask leading questions to the tulip festival oh, yeah. because yeah. I love the idea of the tulip festival. It's yeah. pretty. It's pretty great. Like when you're in school and you're like, yeah, I get to go to school for half a day on Friday, and now I get to like just go eat food and walk in a parade, and everyone thinks you're super cool. Mm-hmm. But then when you get older, you're like, there's just a lot of traffic, <laughs> <laughs> and it's. I don't know. It's fun, but it's like... We value different things as we get older. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you... Uh, I'm glad you... What did you study? Uh, biochemistry. Biochemistry, okay. Woohoo! Nice. Um, well, I'm glad you were able to uh, to join us uh, for a show. Hopefully, we won't, uh, we won't put you off, uh, and you'll come back for other shows. <laughs> like it these, happens. It does like happen. these guys. <laughs> uh, before we begin the show, 
before we continue the show, I want to point out a, this is a public service announcement. When this show comes out, it will be 12 days until election day, which is one of the few days that young people like our listeners have a true voice in politics. So I'm encouraging you to vote. And if you aren't registered to vote where you live, get registered, uh, visit vote.org to find out how to register and vote in the state in which you exist. Uh, even if you are not officially a resident, you can become a registered voter in many states, I believe, or at least you can vote at your in your home state by absentee ballot, ballot, although I don't know if it's too late for that. But anyway, point is, figure it out. It's easier than you think. It's probably the most important thing you'll do this year. And do it so that you can, as Melania Trump says, be best. That, Did she actually say that? That is her slogan for young people. Uh... Uh, anti-bullying, anti-internet bullying slogan. Yeah, I thought it was, I'm the most bullied person in the world. That is, she has also <laughs> said that. She's probably the most bullied person in the world. Abby, it wasn't completely uh, out of left field that I asked you that question about whether Central College of Iowa is a prestigious university. Uh, I have a question that came in just under the wire this morning from Tyler, who wants to know about what counts more for admissions committee. Let's, admissions committees... Let's hear from Tyler. Hi, everyone. I am a huge fan of the podcast. My name is Tyler, and I am currently a junior and undergrad, and I just recently started on the pre-med path. I know, I'm a bit of a late bloomer who didn't get the medicine bug till I took an EMT course last semester and fell in love with medicine. Anyway, to my question, do medical schools take into account the level of the applicants under graduate institution, or is the MCAT supposed to level the playing field? That is a fine question. Um, Abby came from a shitty, I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I'm sure Central College is great. I uh, know nothing about it. You, you can say that about my <laughs> institution. But Abby did, where did, okay, so Abby went to Central. Uh, where'd you go to, Jen? I went to Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Gorillas. Not even Pennsylvania. Gorillas. <laughs> okay. All I gotta say. Aditi. I went to Wartburg College. Oh, you went to a fancier college, right? Yeah. Wartburg's yeah. pretty fancy. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Aline? I went to George Mason University. Also a fancy college. Oh, I don't know about that. It is. It was a nice place to I go I considered to going to George Mason. If I had gone to George Mason, my life would be entirely different, but... I did not. I went to the university. Are you being paid by George Mason? Because <laughs> you're saying George Mason a lot right now. I just really love the name. I, for some reason, I, I went and visited there and I kind of liked the name George Mason University. It just for, rolled off the tongue for me. I don't know why. I can't explain it. It's very prominent in Virginia. I did, end up, yeah, I did end up going to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Go Minutemen. Worst name for... for football team ever but you know that's there's what... a school in kansas whose uh mascot is the ichabods oh. so it is not the worst name oh, and no. minute man has all sorts of implications that you know are <laughs> <laughs> somewhat less than savory but that's hilarious well i was know. not expecting that what i wasn't gonna, either yeah what are you gonna do but you went there yeah it was um so yeah what do we what do we think of uh tyler's question does do these things matter Yes and no. Mm. Yeah. That's a very diplomatic An answer. An intriguing yeah. answer, Jaden. Yeah. Why don't you expand upon that? So, when an admissions committee is looking at your application, I think it just comes down to familiarity. It's, it's less that they're looking at your undergraduate institution and docking you points or giving you points for getting into an undergrad, um, but more of... If you do four years and say you do two years of research and you do this and you do that, 
at the University of Michigan, for example, just throwing it out there. Big 10 school. Big 10 school, big name. They know roughly the environment you were in and the level you were asked to perform at. Mm -hmm. If you went to Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas... (laughs) I love that it's Pittsburgh, um, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> like Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Yeah. The less cool You've got Lebanon. A, got familiar and unfamiliar in Paris, the Texas. Yeah. You know, it's um, <laughs> if you go to Pittsburgh Pittsburgh State University, they don't know what that entails. Mm-hmm. And so then the the onus is kind of on you to show to get that MCAT score, to do things um, that show you at what level you are performing and interacting with people fair enough that, that, that's how i view it a it's, big name university is easier to hang your hat on when you're when you're yeah when you say i did x at michigan or iowa etc they 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 have a rough idea of what that entails when you say you did the same thing at pittsburgh state university they don't know as much how to judge that that was that was my interpretation going through um, the interview process is they're not dinging you or giving you points for where you come from, but there is, you know, it's just context. Yeah. I think there are some colleges or um, medical schools that look at small liberal arts colleges as a bonus because there's been a huge push to have the humanities as a strength in medicine mm-hmm. now. And so if you did go to a small liberal arts college like I did or even central, yeah. Um, it kind of works to your advantage, especially for a college that's looking for that sort of applicant. So mm-hmm. don't discount that as well. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Oh, sorry. And I'd agree that like um, when you go to a smaller school, like the letters of recommendation you get are going to be better because like, like my professor, my chemistry professor who I did research with, he like wrote all about how I like babysat his kids and like <laughs> <laughs> um, to like give like attest my character or whatever and so like I don't think I would have gotten that at a bigger school yeah yeah it seems like it's harder to stand out at a school like say GW that has like or UMass or UMass yeah like a place with like a massive undergrad like literally tens of thousands of people Mm -hmm. and so I see like you may what you lose in familiarity like what Jane was saying you gain in terms of like personal encounters that really speak to your character I did bring, I did uh, ask our admissions folks uh, this question. Um, And, you know, Kathy, uh, the director of admissions, pointed out that um, there are 30 people on the admissions committee, somewhere around there, all with differing opinions on this question. What's better, prestigious or not or whatever. Um, But those 30 people really do allow us to get a diverse student body. because they're all looking at different things and then a decision is made based on the sum total of an application. Um, so she would advise, you know, if you're picking an institution, for instance, uh, to go to your undergrad, go to one that you will enjoy attending. Mm-hmm. Pick a major that you will enjoy majoring in um, and don't just pick one because it's a big deal. Um, if you went to a prestigious institution that might impress, just make sure your MCAT score is also a good one because um, if those two you know, if you get a bad MCAT score or a low MCAT score, um, that's an indication that you don't know the stuff that you need to, you know, get into med school. Mm-hmm. Um, if you went to a little known school and got a great MCAT score, that would be a great thing. 
you know? So yes, the MCAT does, um, the, the MCAT is probably more important than the actual institution you went to, I think in the yeah. end. Um, yeah. It's and, gonna be the prime thing that demonstrates you know what you're doing. Yeah, and uh, this is all in the context of fit, right? Like each individual school is gonna be looking at things a little bit different. Yeah. And, and if, you know, you're from a liberal arts college in Iowa, the University of Iowa, Carver College of Medicine, is very familiar with all those schools and yeah. they know we've you know we've had five to ten Wartburg graduates a year in our medical school class for lord knows how long so yeah. they're very familiar and and they yeah they'll also know things like you know i know um cornell college one of the one of the more prestigious um iowa institutions it's a private small private college um they refuse to teach to the mcat that's not what they do um, so if you, you know, come from there and you get a good MCAT score, we know that's a good thing, you know? I didn't realize schools taught to the MCAT. I didn't realize they that just, was a thing. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know either, but that was something that Kathy pointed out that, you know, they have made a point of saying, of, you know, that they, they basically their attitude is, we're going to teach you what we think you need to know. The MCAT is a totally different thing. Study for the MCAT, you know. Mm. As a standalone Yeah, as a standalone measure. Thing. I would, yeah. I would hope that they're on the Venn diagram of things you need to know and things on the MCAT, I would hope there's, there's an quite a bit of overlap. <laughs> there's an yeah. intersection there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the whole idea of MCAT, right, is to test you on what you should know. And so, I don't know. So that's, uh, that's our answer, Tyler. Um, I don't know what uh, crappy college you attend based on your, <laughs> based on your question. No, I'm sure it's fine. It, I wanted to add one more thing. What I've heard is that it really, the name of the university really only matters if you're like at the very top or at the very bottom. Like there are some schools that are just notoriously, you know, poor at training students. And if you're in an Ivy League school, of course, they're going to recognize that and it's going to stand out. But like for the most part, most schools do a pretty good job. Like they're all accredited programs. Like for mm -hmm. chemistry, for example, they're all ACS accredited. So, you know, you're going to get the same training, quote unquote. But yeah, I don't it, think I don't think it should hold the person back. Yeah. Don't worry about it. In fact, your EMT course, or I don't know if you have experience like actually being an EMT, but that's going to, you know, that's going to give you a leg up. Let's move on. How about this story? Recently, the chief of Sloan Kettering Cancer Center resigned when it was found that he'd failed to disclose his ties to healthcare companies. And we know, if you longtime listeners will know, that there have been a bunch of other stories in the news ever since there was news of unethical behavior among scientists and doctors from financial problems to lack of honesty in research. Um, so there's an interesting proposal in Molecular Cell in which the authors proposed a sort of Hippocratic oath for scientists to make them aware early on of their moral obligations when they conduct their research. I thought we could bat this around for a bit because they're not just proposing it for biomedical researchers or those who do clinical research, but for all scientists. Um, among their suggestions to include in such an oath, I will practice and support a scientific process that is based on logic, intellectual rigor, personal integrity, and an uncompromising respect for the truth. I will never let the potential for personal recognition or advancement cause me to act in a way that violates the public trust in science or in me as a scientist. I mean, do you think this is a good idea? I think so. I think, I think it, you know, in theory, we should all be operating under that premise anyway, but... There's something to be said about like 
making that a statement at the outset of your career. Yeah. I think that sounds really nice. Actually, it was very inspiring to hear you read that. Do you, so when you enter med school uh, here at Iowa and in many other schools, you go through a white coat ceremony when you, and you basically, uh, in front of God and everybody, stand up and um, commit to an oath um, that is analogous to the Hippocratic Oath. It's not the Hippocratic Oath, I believe. But you do get up and, and say, was that uh, moving, inspiring for you guys uh, when you got up in front of everybody and did that? I, I did get choked up. I did shed tears. At the yeah. What about you, uh, Abby? Did you feel nothing? No, I thought it was. Um, I was like, wow, this is like real and I'm going to be a doctor. And <laughs> it was just like really powerful to like read those words and like think about what I was like committing my life to, I mm -hmm. guess. So I can see like with the research, like. To think about like, oh, this is actually what it means. Like having a significant moment like that at the beginning of your career would like, I don't know. I think it could help Just influence the way you look at it. Yeah. We right. take the oath during graduation. Again also, too. yes. Also, uh, uh, not necessarily the Hippocratic Oath. I think we, what we do is we like allow you to oath. choose from a couple of different ones as a class. Oh, that's cool. Um, so. It seems like making that statement like right at the outset of your career as a scientist would like kind of help set the tone of mm -hmm. like how you view your profession. Mm -hmm. And maybe not enough people see like science as a pursuit of I mean, we all see it as a pursuit of truth. But you forget that or some people forget that the data you're producing eventually informs, you know, things and technologies and methods that like affect people's lives and their health. Well, and there are also pressures in science, I understand, that uh, might push some people away from truth and more towards self-aggrandizement um, because you're required to publish a certain amount or else you don't get tenure and tenure is getting harder and harder to come by and all that kind of stuff. So there are, you know, there are sort of, I guess you could call them economic pressures in a way. Mm -hmm. I will say though, by playing devil's advocate, I don't think that an oath is enough to kind of change the general you know, direction of pursuing truth and making sure we're aware of it at the beginning and at the end. Like, you can get jaded along the way and forget. Like, I took the oath, what, four years ago? And so that's a long time to, like, kind of not remember what the oath entails or... Yeah, I, I suppose could, you might get subsumed by the daily grind of yeah, medicine. And, and it could just be a lot, kind of like what you were talking yeah. about. So Well, I would argue that uh, these cases, these high-profile cases from recently... They're high profile because these are people at the top of the field. Yeah, they knew, mm -hmm. and I don't. I don't think an oath will deter them. Remind you know, like reminding them from twenty, thirty years ago. They're at the top of their field. They know all of this better than anyone. Yeah. They just chose to do it anyway. It's not yeah. like oh right? shit, like, I forgot about being yeah. an ethical person. Oh man, if only I would have had that important moment to carry with me. No, I think <laughs> they just chose to get ahead by being crappy. With mm. great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Peter Parker's father. No, was <laughs> uncle. 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 How dare you? Sorry. How dare you, sir? He didn't die in a needless act of violence for you to yes. misidentify him. <laughs> Sacrifice himself. So I think there are actually studies that show um, for like high school and college students, having them write out the honor code pledge actually does cut down on the level of cheating mm. on exams and different assignments. If not writing it out, then having them read the statement and then sign their names to it on the front page of the assignment. 
before maybe. each assignment or just at the beginning of the semester or something? I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was with like, like actual assessments. And so like on the front page of the assessment or when you're submitting it, like basically with every with every instance. Of- yeah, because I know that's like a policy at the college I went to is we always sign the honor code before any exam or turning in any assignment. So, yeah. And look at you. You're a moral person. I think so. So you came out. I like to think so. You came out good. Oh, yeah. I have my days where I'm evil. (laughs) Super evil. uh, You get in your your secret underground lair. My evil altar person. I can't even say it because I'm not evil, but... (laughs) You're so bad at being evil. You can't even say evil. Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. (laughs) The... um, yeah, there's there's some debate, I guess, about this article, and 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 there have been other proposals too. You know, like for instance, I don't think we really need physicists to make an oath. You know, it doesn't seem like a field that is rife with <laughs> moral conflict. moral conflict. I mean, Except I guess for there's atomic bombs. Well, and, and that's yes, <laughs> that is that is the other thing. Like the last, the first time this idea was came up was, um, as I understand, in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, when things like, you know, atomic bombs and, and bi- when biomedical threats, I guess you call it, basically threats from research, you know, was first starting to like come into the scientific world's consciousness and basically like, are we morally equipped right now to, to deal with these threats, these sort of existential threats? You know, didn't it also come out actually with WikiLeaks that a lot of the CIA methods of torture were informed by like licensed psychiatrists and psychologists? Well, they were they were and and also monitored um, by physicians who perhaps could have should have well definitely I would say should have objected. There's a very clear moral imperative. Yeah, and I think it's part of every like uh, physician code of conduct and code of ethics from like the AMA, et cetera, that like you do not participate in um, state sanctioned killings. You don't participate. Like, it's, yeah, there's no blurred line here. Those lines um, of the oath start with, I don't want to state the obvious, but you know, we can't believe we have to tell people. you this. Don't torture people. Yeah. Don't kill people. Yeah. No, that's to me. That's, there's no blurry lines. I know people like to argue well, a physician should be involved to make sure of X or Y, but no, physicians just should not be involved with those things. Wrong is wrong. Yeah. Don't nurses have a Hippocratic Oath? I think it's called the the know. Nightingale Ooh. Statement, something like that. Oh. I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Let me look that up real quick. Okay. I'm just curious. Do you think people, when they're doing bad things, this is a very, like, <laughs> you know... <laughs> blanket slash you know existential type question but do you think people just lie to themselves enough to make them think that they're doing an okay thing or it's validated like i'm doing it for my country yeah i totally think so i feel like no one like at least most people aren't like oh yeah i'm doing a bad thing for the sake of doing a bad thing i'm evil from birth (laughs) (laughs) and there's no question that what i'm doing is wrong (laughs) you weren't kidding about the existential because this is like the it's like nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. Are people capable of being born evil or is it all circumstantial? Yeah. My guess is that most people, it starts out with a small, a small thing, small impropriety. And that sort of grows um, over time, maybe as they try to cover it up, that small impropriety or 
or maybe just as a res- like a, just a result of it being a slippery slope. Yeah, I think Hidden Brain actually had a really um, interesting episode about that, about how like it starts so small, but then you have to lie Almost so much. Imperceptible. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. I think the example they used was like selling drugs. Like mm-hmm. you know, grow. It starts with growing your own, consuming your own, and then you sell it to your friend or your neighbor, and then if, and before you know, you're at the top of a pyramid scheme. You know, involving drug sales, <laughs> but. By the way, it is called the Nightingale Pledge. The Nightingale Pledge. Mm-hmm. All right. After the bird, probably. Maybe. I uh, assume so, yes. <laughs> you would know, Jaden, about that. The Florence Nightingale Bird. All right. Um, if you love opioids, you'll love Desuvia. It's 500 times stronger than morphine. And an FDA committee is recommending its approval. It's also a pill that dissolves under the tongue and is derived from an IV and epidural drug. Um, it's able to enter the bloodstream much more quickly than other pills. This would be great for fast relief from acute pain. Works in about 15 minutes. Hmm. Um, but, you know, people are saying, do we really need a drug that's 500 well, times more powerful than morphine? I just have one question, and this is for the panel here. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Do we I, not have enough powerful opioids? The answer to drugs is always drugs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> more drugs. More drugs. I feel like with every passing day, the world we live in is more and more resembling Brave New World. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Like, yeah. literally, as I was reading this article, it reminded me of Soma in Brave New World. Oh, yeah. And then I went back and, like, was rereading, you know, different Cliff's notes about it. And they were talking about, like, the feelies where you go and watch a movie, but then you have the sensation of the characters in the movie that you're watching. Because of this drug. Yeah. yeah that's Soma. virtual reality. Yeah. I mean, there's all these things that are happening. I, I just, you know, like, we have, we already have, you know, like, fentanyl which is an incredibly powerful opioid right mm-hmm. and how we, does it stack up to i fentanyl? i could not how many from fentanyls the is it equivalent to yeah from the articles i read i couldn't quite get i mean 500 times more powerful than morphine yeah, morphine's pretty powerful but it's not the most powerful opioid fentanyl is 100 times more powerful than morphine so oh. it would be about five times more powerful than fentanyl damn girl someone knows i'm their glad drug we had knowledge. abby along today <laughs> um yeah but it, i mean on the plus side um, th- the makers of Desuvia are promising to package and administer in ways that are designed to prevent abuse and dosage errors. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and but the the thing about the the dosage errors thing is that IV liquids are, according to the manufacturer, or according to many people, um, more likely to uh, be a part of dosage errors than other kinds of medications. And I'm not entirely clear why, but my guess is it's based on packaging. Um, because maybe they, it all, you know, all clear liquids look alike, basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm. uh, but, you know, right now, IV liquids, IV um, or more opioids are um, pretty much the only way that we have to give acute, uh, fast relief to for acute pain. Definitely. So if it was sublingual, the it would be analogous. The speed of relief would be analogous to IV drugs. It would just be more easy to control uh, for dosage errors. I think it depends on the drug, though, right? Because we talk about bioavailability versus like, mm-hmm. um, like I don't know what's the other word. There's a lot of volume of distribution. Yes, thank you. So it just depends on the drug. 
whether you give it sublingual or yeah. IV, like, yeah, IV is the fastest because you don't really have to worry about it. But dissolving stuff under your tongue is also a very quick relief. Like we do that for stroke patients. So isn't that also how you're supposed to take nitroglycerin uh-huh. if you're having a heart attack? Yeah. yeah. I kind of I think I view that as a bad thing, actually. I think the ease of administration would probably correlate with the ease of addiction and, you know, yeah. in it in a non-clinical context if if it's so easy to administer then i just had a really good idea that i'm bursting to tell you ready hold on we need to discuss intellectual property first if this is if this is this is gonna make us all rich watch the podcast recording (laughs) cut off right (laughs) (laughs) and we're back okay great we're all millionaires this little record like um (laughs) Okay, the idea is this. The power of an addictive drug should be indicated by the size of the pill. <laughs> okay? So if you've got something 500 times more powerful than, um, say, you know, or 300 times more powerful than fentanyl, it should be 300 times as large a pill as the fentanyl. We have to have a reference, though, right? So what are you thinking? Like aspirin? Watermelon like, size. Yeah, let's let's start Good news, with like it's a suppository. Let's start with willow bark. <laughs> willow bark. So what is the what is the if you strip off enough willow bark to cure a headache and chew it, how big would the aspirin have to be? And then from there, you know, what are we talking about with like you know, Desuvia would have to be the size of a building. <laughs> I you, think you I, actually don't take it. You just kind of rub yourself on it. <laughs> Hope that it diffuses. Transdermal yeah. administration. I want to call back to the quote, the good news it's a suppository. That's actually a quote from, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a quote from Futurama. If you guys I ever watched that show. Yeah. He holds up the I can't remember what the drug is for, but he holds up like what looks like a dinosaur egg and Fry is like, I can't Watermelon. swallow that. Yes. And he's like, Good news, it's a suppository. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or the higher the dosage, the nah, see that wouldn't work. I was going to say the higher the potency, the 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 more egregious the root of, of uh, administration would be. <laughs> I mean, but then people are willing to inject themselves. Yeah. With, you know, so that's we're it. all laughing, but honestly, the issue comes down to whether we're adequately managing patients' pain. Um, and a lot of patients, at least that I've encountered in clinic, will say otherwise that we're not doing a great job because they're still having these issues and we're putting them on higher dosages of drugs and then kind of putting our foot down and saying, oh no, like we can't give you anymore. And that's when it kind of hurts your physician patient relationship, I think. Um, so would you advocate for, for, uh, you know, basically saying, okay, well you need, you need more. I'm going to give it. No, I would not actually, I would rather decrease the dosage and let them feel a little bit more pain so that way they're not on these dangerous drugs, which is essentially what the whole, you know, keeping track of opiate prescriptions that people are given is doing. Um, the reason I bring that up, though, is because I think from a patient's perspective, it's hard to understand that. I think. Yeah. I mean, they're they're in unhappy. Pain. They're yeah. in pain. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I feel like we often are quick to say, you know, our doctors don't know what they're doing, but it's not really that. I think your doctor still has your best interest in mind they're just trying to do the do no harm aspect of things as well yeah i think it's hard it's hard to control people's desire to consume a substance that will alter their level of consciousness even after their medical problem has been addressed and i think 
it's a hard balance to strike where you're fixing an actual medical issue without creating a non-medical pathology. Yeah. yeah. But I, I agree with you. I think controlling the administration or like the provision of the drug is like all we can do right now. Well, um, the drug will only be available in hospitals. <laughs> Critics are concerned, though, that opioids, hospital opioids are already too easy to divert from their intended destination. So, I don't know, not that much of a a barrier to uh, to inappropriate use. Um, We're just going to leave it behind this unlocked door, but be good and don't take yes. any, okay, guys? We're killing right. on you. Now I'm just going to turn my back and put some headphones on. Yeah, it's okay. not like it's this is a new plan. Like, oh, we'll only make it available to hospitals. You know, um, you know still things, things go astray. Yeah, hospital workers get addicted to drugs all the time. Yeah. Um, I got some listener feedback to uh, to play from Blake, a first-year MD student married with two kiddos. Hey, shortcoats. I just wanted to provide some commentary on the topic of kids in medical school that a listener brought up in the most recent episode. Just a little while. I am currently a first-year medical student, and my wife and I have two boys, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. I am a non-traditional student, and though it has been tough, it is definitely doable to manage medical school and have a family. I know everyone's case will be different, but I just wanted to let people know it's possible and to not give up based on what others say. As far as the other listeners' particular situation, I too did not have time to pursue extracurricular activities or shadow all that much. I feel admission committees generally do a good job assessing an applicant beyond the, the traditional metrics. Best regards, Blake. P.S. Love the show. Thanks for being such an inspiration for me now and before starting medical school. Do you ever notice how I always leave in the P.S. I love the show or I love the show? <laughs> like I could just cut it down to the essential question, but I don't. It's Be such a nice thing to hear, though. I love it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Blake. Um, the listener I think you're talking about is Courtney, um, uh, who wrote in a few episodes ago now um, with questions about that. So I'm sure she appreciates your, uh, your thoughts on the matter. Uh, we have more listener feedback uh, from Alex. Alex is a clinical dietitian right here at UI Hospitals and Clinics. Um, this is regarding this, the subject that I thought we would never talk about again. Um, but, you know, can't help myself. Uh, this is about nutrition and weight. And we spoke less than enthusiastically about keto and other listeners freaked out on us. Uh, so here we hear from Alex. I was so glad to see this episode because you brought up a topic that is rarely talked about in healthcare, weight stigma and weight bias. Thank you for including the HuffPo article in your discussion as well as it brought attention to these topics in a way that humanizes people who are often dehumanized. Also, as a registered dietitian myself, I appreciated the ways you and the other M once talked correctly about nutrition. I read once that recommending weight loss as an intervention is lazy medicine, nutrition advice from healthcare providers, dietitians included. Unfortunately, is so often something that is based on the appearance of the patient. Thanks for your time and for your podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for your thanks for your feedback. Appreciate that. Also appreciate knowing that a clinical dietitian thought that what we said was correct. Correct. So that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's, that's a, a nice endorsement. Big compliment. It happens. Sometimes we are correct. Sometimes we not don't. Always. We don't. You know, I will never. <laughs> I will never say that we are experts on any topic that has to do with medicine. We're all still learning. I know nothing. You guys are all still learning. Um, I only learn things from you. I just want to add something. Um, thank you, Dave. That's such a nice thing to say. Oh. I think I think I personally learn a lot from you as well. Oh, thank yeah. you. What do you What do you learn? How How not to be? Is it? 
how to make great jokes. Okay. Um, I just wanted to throw in, I might have, I might have mentioned this before, but, um, there was a really nice paper that came out, I think like a year and a half ago about, um, it was a study on ancestor or like, like living day descendants of people who had lived through this, the, the siege on Leningrad, Mm. um, where the, basically all entrances to the city in Russia, which is now St. Petersburg or called St. Petersburg was blocked. And so I think the siege lasted like more than a year. Mm. And they're finding that uh, like certain epigenetic mechanisms kicked in where like people who are related to the survivors, you know, no matter what kind of lifestyle they lead, they also struggle with things like diabetes and heart disease and obesity um, in a way that suggests that, you know, trauma and like other events that occurred like literally outside of your own life, it really does affect how your metabolism works and how you process foods and things like that. Yeah. I, I also read uh, a study recently, tried to interpret it, but I think the um, the gist of it was they have discovered that um, that men who experience certain kinds of, of uh, trauma um, show epigenetic changes in their sperm methylation, which is... I think the mechanism that's what I, what was described as the mechanism of epigenetics. It, it's one way the genes are turned on and off. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's not clear yet is whether that methylation gets passed on to their offspring, but it does, does look like it could be a mechanism for passing experiences on or the effects of experiences on from one generation to the next, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Aditi looks skeptical, but yeah, I just don't know if, you know, methylating your sperm and then your child having that same methylation methylation yeah. would make sense because it's an on and off. It's like a switch. So sure. it's more dependent on what's going on in your environment and less yeah. like whether you were born with it or not. Like you have the ability to do it. Sure. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I don't know too much about how those changes can be made permanent. Yeah. Like that's what I, you're right. Like it is a dynamic process. Like under normal circumstances, you have, you know, you have enzymes that are acting on the DNA. So that's that's what I'd like to know more about is how how is that inherited? How does that stay fixed? Yeah, yeah the, the authors of the study that I'm talking about didn't didn't say, you know, this is a way that it is inherited. They yeah. were they were just thinking I think the conclusion was, yeah, we need probably should look at this a little bit more and was it more like an association? Like those They didn't even look at the the important finding was that there was methylation that occurred you know, went into that there was methylated DNA mm-hmm. in sperm. And so, you know, now that we see that there's another avenue of investigation we should, we should pursue. So it was very basic, but hmm. cool. Jaden. Yes, sir. I think you uh, have a game that we should play. <laughs> All righty. Do you want to play a game? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I have no choice. I've actually no choice. never seen any of the Saw movies. <laughs> So I didn't feel qualified to make that I thought that, that was quote. a war game reference. War <laughs> no, games. Nope, Shall definitely. we play a game? Definitely a Saw reference. I have, I have seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. I can't believe you've seen that one. That is, I mean, war games, I guess it's a cultural touchstone, I guess. It, it is. Yeah. I mean, it really. But, you know, that was that when I was a boy. It created the genre of man versus machine. I guess it did. Chess matches, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I have a couple of lists here, mm. 
And they are some of the most interestingly named genes and proteins in organisms. So they could be humans. Most of them are Drosophila, uh, fruit flies, of course. We do love to look at Drosophila. We do love the Drosophila. And the good thing is, um, if there's mutations in Drosophila genes, you don't have to explain to families and patients <laughs> sit down with how a sonic hedgehog has gone wrong <laughs> in their very sick loved one yeah that's a problem uh i guess i could see sitting down with a family saying hey your sonic hedgehog gene is running be like look yes i didn't come here for your comedy routine <laughs> so we have uh i'm under the impression we started moving away from funny names for human genes and proteins yeah but um i thought we could hear the name of a few of these and then if y'all would like to guess what they do okay i feel like i'm gonna be remarkably (laughs) unsuccessful (laughs) all right so um i think we should go ahead do you want to do multiple choice maybe or are you just gonna let us fill oh no 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 this is this is all about creativity the human imagination and really embarrassing guesses. All right. This is a short answer exam. I'm yes. pretty good at multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our first one is named Elmo. Oh. oh. Elmo. And a few other, one more piece of information. It contains within the family Elmo 1, Elmo 2, oh my gosh. and Elmo 3. Is it is it worth noting that Elmo the Muppet was not the first person named Elmo? Or the first imaginary. I mean, you know, it could have been named after an Elmo that is real. I, yeah, yeah, I also wonder what the origin of the word Elmo is. I don't know that information. Well, I'm going to... I am gonna. I can assure you it has nothing to do with this protein. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a guess. Okay. It's what gives you red eyes. Red, red eyes. Yeah. Well, Drosophila, yeah, there's a lot of red eyes. There's a lot of eye color studies in Drosophila. Right? Yeah. That's Ooh. a good guess. Yeah. And Elmo's red. <laughs> I, I like the logic. <laughs> uh, I think it causes Drosophila to acquire an annoyingly high-pitched voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Neuter. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Mr. Neuter. I'm dying. <laughs> Wow, that was actually a really good impression, yeah. dude. <laughs> wow. Carry on. Do you have a second career we don't know about? I'm not going to tell you, but... SNL skits on the side. Yeah. Clearly. I Abby, was the original have... voice of, of Elmo. Yeah. <laughs> not the guy who just retired after 50 years. That guy's a hack. Yeah. Yeah. Guy. The guy who just retired uh, is the voice of Big Bird. Isn't oh, he? that's right. Yeah. The voice of Big Bird and... Um, Oh, the like voice of Elmo is someone else. 45 years doing Big Bird and 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 Arska the Grouch. It's pretty trippy. Yeah, the guy who um voices Elmo is a, apparently if I remember correctly a, a large black man. Mhm. So. Yeah. Kind of like Barney. Yeah. Yeah? Who voices Barney? He's this also African American or yeah. black man. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Yeah, I I entertain my children with uh with Elmo impressions from time to time. <laughs> That's awesome. Of inappropriate Elmo impressions now that they're older. <laughs> Abby, do you have any ideas? Because I don't. I I have no clue. I don't even remember anything about Elmo at this moment. <laughs> about Elmo, the, the Sesame Street. Yeah, character. I just, I feel he like I just fish. like under pressure just forgot yeah. everything 
Like, I don't even remember what he looks like. He has he a beloved ticklish. goldfish. He's, He's ticklish, ticklish, right? You remembered your name, so that's good. I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the little things. Yeah. Yes. Maybe you should tell us. Put us out of our misery. All right, well, <laughs> uh, it, this one's actually pretty boring. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a mashed up version of engulfment and cell motility. What? Elmo. Oh, yeah. that was a trick question. Yeah, and mm. the proteins themselves um, are adapter proteins that just kind of do protein-protein interactions. They well, don't, that I, that they don't I, have any intrinsic activities themselves, yeah. so mm. they're kind of boring. Well, that I, that I figured. Yeah. What a tease. <laughs> that's no Elmo. Mm -mm. All right, so the next one... Oh, Mr. Noodle. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, the next one is named Indy. I N D Y. Mm. Like the Indy 500, perhaps. Yeah. Or slang for Indianapolis. Or Indiana, Indiana Jones's nickname. Yes. To his friends. Indy. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, Indy. So, does it make Drosophila just fly really fast? <laughs> Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Maybe a structural protein yes. of some sort. I, I like that one. Um, yeah. Does it make them... Does it wear a trucker hat? Yes. <laughs> Does it, it like makes, bush light? It hey, I resemble that remark. Makes fruit flies You're work. not wearing a hat right now, so I think it's okay. But fair Yeah, enough. but I'm from rural Kansas, Elaine. Like, you're, you're treading on... <laughs> Dangerous ground. Yeah, I see. I take I, it back. I've seen a disappointing number of NASCAR races. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hmm. Yeah, I got, I got invasion and what's the thing that starts with dy? That's sciency. Destroy. Yeah. Dystrophy. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Dystrophy. Invasion and dystrophy. Okay. Sure. Okay. And you think it makes them fly faster? Yeah. Okay. Aline. My imagination is really letting me down right now. I have no clue. Not even remotely, I guess. Well, it's also letting me down, so. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, my God, no. I'm sorry, Jaden. I'm just going to go jump off a bridge now. All right. Well, I guess we uh, we, we have no guesses. No okay. Really guesses. Well, except for going faster. The, I, I like that guess. This lot. one's amazing. And Abby was on the right track. Oh. So Indy is short for... I'm not dead yet. No. <laughs> Kidding. Yes. And mutations in this gene have been associated with fruit flies living up to twice as long. Really? And the name I'm not dead yet. I know what it is. Is a Monty, Monty Python, Python reference. <laughs> it is the perfect protein name. I'm it's not descriptive. Dead yet. It's pop culture. It, yeah. I'm That's not amazing. dead yet. That's the the Black Knight, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, it's the um, it's the uh, you know the the during the plague the the guy with the the oh, cart. Oh, and they bring put him on the cart. Yes. Bring out your dead. <laughs> and he's like, and one of the dead people's like, I'm not dead yet. He's like, shut up, you will be. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Wow. All that's, right. All right. I have a weird sense of humor. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Really I do. promise we're not all like this. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. not a representative sample based on these names. <laughs> yes. Promise. Yeah, there's a few that I'm thinking we should avoid um, in the current so social climate. Um, but there there are a few really good ones. So the next one is Tin Man. Oh. 
Tin Man. And yes, I'll just tell you right now, it's a Wizard of Oz reference. Yeah, I think we got that. The Tin Man had no heart, right? Yeah. He yeah. wanted a heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe it gives them like a new chamber or something in their hearts. I don't know. I think it leans on to something. Yeah, keep going. We're, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Jaden's smiling real big. Okay, I am on to something. Um, is it important for, like, do you need it to have a heart? Yeah. Yes. Uh, that is whoa! exactly it. <laughs> nice. Job. Killed it. Where's my degree? Yeah. Can you can we go to the OSAC? I just fast track right you. Now? She needs right. her PhD now, please. Thank you. Yes. That's Tin awesome. Man encodes a transcription factor that is necessary for Drosophila to have a heart. Oh. And so without it, cute. they don't have a heart. Just oh. like the Tin Man. And I assume and they're dead. They're dead. <laughs> yeah. That's always the outcome, it sounds like. Yeah. All right. What else? Ooh, this is a group of genes, okay? And they are the Halloween genes. Oh. So topical. Um, <laughs> they include disembodied, spook, spookier, shadow, shade, shroud, and phantom. And these all have to do with a certain kind of like they, they, they all share a function oh. and I for the three of you that are medical students I will tell you that you are very familiar with this family of genes and they are very medically important well, I, I hate say, them but they are medically important I was going to say something to do with the eyes for some reason mm. like color color or shape but with that added bit of information I think I might be wrong yeah, yeah. think of a very large family of proteins oh. that we're always worried okay. about like p52 or p53 like cancer genes oncogenes no i'm really off you're you're not really off though oh yeah tumor suppressor genes sure so that's a good guess no it's not right <laughs> really what gave you that impression <laughs> every one of my neurons i am devoting to this function Except Wait, maybe that's the that problem. What's that slide <laughs> maybe with the genes have Dr. to do with neurons. So that talks about the big calves and oh myo myostatin, maybe. But you know what I'm talking about? It's like probably relate. We talk about that so much. Yeah, and it's a big group of genes. Yeah, not the kinds of genes I put on every day, but <laughs> <laughs> the not cool ones. A big group of genes. <laughs> this is what I call my wardrobe. Uh, All right, so maybe something to do with cancer or the suppression of cancer? No, it's the cell cycle genes. Because oh. I said oncogenes, and he said I was close. So does yeah. it have to do you, with you, cell okay, division? It, was, it wasn't that that made you close. No. It, was, oh. it was another aspect of your answer. Cancer? No. Proliferation? Jaden keeps looking at me like I know that. I'm just waiting for you to, <laughs> to, to guess. Does it make the fruit fly really scary? Yes. That's actually correct. That's it. So all of those genes encode P450 oh! enzymes. So you had you had Man. the P. You were at P53. You just needed to multiply that by like Dang nine, it. and you would That's have been really there. That's really important for warfarin. And that uh, was pretty close. What does this uh, for those of us who are the cytochromes? Yeah. Yeah. So they do. Um, they're really important in medicine because they interact with our pharmaceuticals a lot. And our pharmaceuticals either induce them or inhibit them, and it changes the way your body metabolizes things. Mm. Um, they're also important in the synthesis of steroid hormones, 
And so when this family of Halloween genes is knocked out, um, they it alters the exoskeleton development, and you end up with scary, scary looking fruit, fruit flies. Fly. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's so you awesome. killed it. Yeah, wow. man, these are too easy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, go, you were close. I'm gonna go Aditi. back to the difficult ones. Man, <laughs> let's do one more because there is one thing I want to get to okay. before we. Okay. Okay. Ooh, I gotta pick a good one though. Um, where are you getting these, Jin? There, there are published lists on the internet <laughs> of interesting gene names. You're kidding. So, okay. Awesome. I really wanted to do Pokemon, but we're going to do Spock <gasps> 1. I love Spock. Spock 1. And I will tell you that we are concerned with zebrafish. So, those with those zebrafish with uh, mutations of Spock 1... Um, often have uh, hair that grows in a bull configuration. <laughs> oh my god. And pointy ears. Maybe it gives them no, pointy ears. And they, yeah. That's it. And they pointy no ears. It is? Pointy ears. Knew it. Mutations in Spock 1. But we're talking about fish. Give zebra fish pointy ears. Wow. I didn't know fish had ears. I don't know what that looks like. We should look it up. Ze well, zebra it. fish ears. You know what I was going to say? It's like Spock's Part human, part Vulcan, right? So these zebras, zebra fish, it's like part zebra, part fish. It's not really a zebra fish. It's a part zebra, part fish. Hmm. It's very out there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a reach, but but a worthy effort. I, I think it must be like uh, the inner ear of the zebra fish is what it's referencing. But do they really listen underwater? Like, I don't get oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I clearly know yeah. nothing about zoology. I can tell you all about people, but... <laughs> Take me out of that part. I'm looking for images, and all I'm seeing is a bunch of graphs. So I don't think it's as uh, it's as exciting as it sounds. Yeah, but. yeah, I'm guessing not. I I just looked up zebrafish ears, um, and I'm getting lots of microscopy. Uh, so I'm not thinking they have like external like no 3D reconstructed models. Uh, not that I can find. Oh wait, wait, this is a 3D reconstructed model. There it is. I just don't know what it is because <laughs> it doesn't look like an ear to me. Yeah, it looks like the inner ear. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So I don't know, but yeah. apparently Spock one. There you go. Yeah, I have one other that uh, I didn't want to bring up because I thought it was kind of distasteful, um, but it's called cheap date. Oh, <laughs> and. Uh, I know exactly what it is. What's it? Let's hear it. Cheap date is uh, it's it affects the way you metabolize alcohol. Yes. Yeah. yeah nice. Yep. That's exactly it. It I'm, causes a marked susceptibility to alcohol intoxication. That is very distasteful. But yes. also, <laughs> I'm a cheap date. So. Yeah. If it helps, <laughs> it's still in Drosophila. We're not. We're not telling like humans that they have the cheap the cheap date, date mutation. Oh man. Yeah. That so. would be a, that would be a harsh genetic counseling session. Right yes. There. Um, well, thank you. That was that was lovely. No, oh, I was yeah. impressed with how well you got the Tin Man thing. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. you guys right. killed it. Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank all of you. You know, uh, I did want to bring up one more thing before we go. I know we're running long. I don't know if anybody has something that they need to go to. And they get a flu shot. Yeah, thank you for getting a flu shot. Those of us who can't get flu shots appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wanted to bring up uh, Abby's potential origin story. <laughs> As a as a uh, somebody who's studying medicine, um, you know it's it's a popular subject of uh, personal statements for med school applicants to talk about the experience that they've had with medicine as a patient, 
And I understand you had a significant experience, uh, one that made it to local television. Yeah. <laughs> so I was driving over by a school bus. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sorry, we're like expecting. laughing, but yeah, super yeah, casual. Yeah, it was it was really awful, but it's okay now. So. <laughs> um, well, I'm healed. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, Tell but me you opened with that in your interview. Like, okay. by the way. I was run over by a school bus. Okay, continue. Yes. <laughs> there is nothing med school can throw at me no. that I can't take. Yeah. I survived that. Because I've taken a school bus <laughs> to the legs. Yeah. Yeah. So I was 16. So that was uh, five and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going for a run after school mm-hmm. in the parking lot. Well, not in the parking lot, but we started in the parking lot, my friend and I. And the buses were like there to like get the students and... We were crossing in front of one to get to the sidewalk when... Were you it, crossing legally? Uh, mm. It was a parking lot. Are there laws? <laughs> <laughs> Who question. has the right of way? It's a good question. A, I don't know. It's always the pedestrian. Lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was like stopped. We thought there were like people still getting on it. And it he didn't see us in front of him. So he starts moving while we're like crossing. And then so we try and get out of the way, like turn around. Because we had just started crossing. But there was like a huge like hole in the parking lot that my left foot got stuck in. And I so I like fell forward as this bus is like coming towards me. And it like ran over my legs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then That's the horrible. bus driver got off the bus and asked what happened. He's like, I heard screaming. So I stopped. It's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> as a general rule. It's a good call. Yeah. yeah. That's why. Yeah. Wow. Um. That's did you, crazy. Did you mine that experience for your med school application in any way? Um, I think uh, the essays that are like, tell us about something you've overcome. I definitely was like. Got it. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally would have gotten there. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you have to go through like a lot of physical therapy or anything? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I had a spiral fracture in my right tibia, which they put a rod in. And then I had three other fractures in my right leg that just like had to heal slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was in physical therapy for like, like, I think I was going for like a year to like gain back strength and like mobility and wow. the knee and ankle, so. The best part about this is that um, <laughs> the the local news was very impressed with this story. <laughs> and so we do have a clip of uh, oh Abby <laughs> from her hospital bed. Let's, yeah, uh, and let's just remember that I was like on morphine because I was <laughs> in a lot sedated. of pain. Yeah, let's let's listen to 16-year-old Abby. And there was like people who I barely even knew were posting stuff that like were praying for you. All the well wishes on Facebook took her by surprise. One post on the cross-country team's page received 500 likes. Actually, <laughs> 500. Cool how many people are like praying for me, especially how much worse it could have been. I mean, I got run over by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to say that... I love that, because you know that, uh, that WHO-TV 13 has never gotten 500 likes on anything. <laughs> <laughs> on any of their and stories. it got up to 800 by the end, so... That's more likes than I've ever you gotten. You are beaming right now. 800, yeah. guys, yeah. dusting off my shoulder. Congratulations. I'm lucky enough to have Abby in my anatomy tutor group, <laughs> and uh, when she first casually, I might add, mentioned like, oh yeah, I was ran over by a bus. Uh, <laughs> no big deal. We, you know we so stopped... 
the tutor group to go find this video <laughs> and watch it watch it on the big screen um uh, yeah oh my God. i yeah. may post a link to the entire thing i mean you know <laughs> we'll see if we can get to 900 likes <laughs> yeah don't we have like 900 inch tvs now in the conference room yes yeah, they're yeah. really big that's what we watched it on yeah that's awesome yeah well like maybe not so much not not about you getting run over by a bus but watching it on a bit i'm i'm just gonna stop i just wish <laughs> you know i got yep. hit by a, a van uh when i was when i was 14 and uh you know got screwed up uh, pretty good um you know obviously not in any permanent long-lasting way but um, there was no Facebook. There was no uh, social media back then. So I didn't I was deprived of the experience of having more than 500 likes by my injury. Let me tell you, every time I log in on Facebook and someone is like, look at a picture of this sandwich I made and they have 800 likes. That's like 10 <laughs> times more likes than I've ever gotten for any of the biggest news of my life. I think my my post about getting into med school was like a piddly like 110 like at the most 110 110 though yeah. i've never got 110 yeah. i've never done anything yeah. something like that if With. i want to get any likes at all it has to be a post involving my wife if <laughs> yeah. it's just me something i've done a picture of me it's not going to go anywhere mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. if she's involved it's like oh look we got 400 likes but yeah i <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not sure how to interpret that, but I think there are I, interpretations to be made. I think I'm I'm interpreting yeah. this accurately. You're a loser. That's, <laughs> that sounds about right. Savage. Uh, Abby. The, the one thing the news missed out on was the opportunity to do a recreation. Yeah, that's like true. those oh, little yeah. animations, right? Like yes. Uh, yeah. If any of our listeners want to do a <laughs> uh, a recreation uh, on you know, one of these not a live things. action one. Yeah, we, do, I, I, yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to encourage people. To yeah, hurt themselves. I, but don't, if you, I don't recommend like actually having this experience. Mm. So <laughs> no. as cool as you've made it sound like I am kind of like a superhero now. Like I have metal in my body, but like <laughs> I don't still. Yeah, I have no. a titanium rod and three screws. They took mm. out one of the screws because it was like bothering me. Yeah, but I uh, they took my rod away. They took oh. my. Yeah. Because I had broken my femur and there was a rod through the center and took it away. I had it for a while. I got to keep it. But do you have to like? Do you get a card now that you present at the airport when you go? No. Through the so actually, like mm -hmm. I've never buzzed the thing, and that kind of sketches me out. Like <laughs> titanium is not. <laughs> what did they put in my body? <laughs> yeah. It's the titanium. Titanium is not oh, really? especially sensitive, or the machines aren't especially sensitive to that. My father is made mostly of titanium at this point yeah. in his life, and he's mm. he's he's okay, basically so a cyborg. So. And I don't think he sets off the machines. I remember patients asking about this on ortho for like knee replacements and hip replacements. And they're like, no, you don't need a card. This type of metal won't set off the detectors. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. It's yeah, medical it's... grade. Hmm. So thank you, Abby, for letting us uh, enjoy yeah. your your horrible experience. Yeah. Sorry for <laughs> laughing at you. Yeah. No, I just the funniest phrase in the why is it so funny? The phrase <laughs> I got hit by a bus. Because <laughs> it's like it's the very antithesis of a of a thing that would pose danger to a child. Right. It's the thing that everybody worries about. No, it's the thing that like takes you to school and like oh. empowers you to get an education. It's I also like, think it's the thing that we trot out when we're like, you know, if I get hit by a bus, you people are going to be <laughs> you people are going to miss me. If you get hit by a bus here, don't they pay for your tuition? I don't, that, is the, that was a rumor at UMass. Uh, also, uh, having worked at the as a bus driver at UMass and also for Canbus, 
Uh, yeah, that's the rumor, but it's not true. Oh, oh my God, Abby. And you don't get a 4-0. If... <laughs> Were you Regina George of your high school? Actually, oh yeah. So, so I'm in the ER. It took them like half an hour to give me fentanyl, but like, okay, so back to that other drug, like I think I would have really loved to have something that they could have just put in my mouth while they were doing x-rays because yeah. they couldn't give me drugs to, bef- until after the x-rays. Do you remember how painful it was? Oh yeah, it was oh, very God, I painful. I don't remember. I, I never remembered how painful it was. It was like edited from my mind. No, it's like I remember like... I remember the physical therapy pain for sure. But Laying on the ground, like screaming, and I eventually was like, Abby, stop screaming. You're making a scene. <laughs> and then <laughs> the um, patriarchy but yeah so i'm in the er i finally have my fentanyl so i'm like i'm over the moon like i just am loving life yeah. because fentanyl does that to you and my friend walks in who was running with me and she's like um crying and really upset obviously because she just witnessed this horrible thing and then i'm like cindy i'm regina george <laughs> <laughs> oh I've, awesome. I've i've taken the liberty of pulling this up does this look familiar oh goodness yeah this kind of looks like exactly oh, what happened God. to me <laughs> <laughs> we don't need a recreation we have mean girls ah uh, that's excellent wow well, that's our show. I want to thank uh, <laughs> you guys for, for joining me today. Aditi, Aline, uh, Abby, uh, Jaden. Sorry for coughing the whole time. Uh, it was so great to have you here today. And thank you to our listeners for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today, we hope we've earned your subscription. Not only do we answer questions, we might answer them well. So send your questions or whatever you like to the shortcodes at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. And don't con- forget to contribute your recipes for med school success by visiting theshortcode.com and clicking on the orange send in a recipe button. Uh, just like Dave did with his opposite oats and grits uh, just today. I'm not saying whose last name, who, what Dave's last name is. but I literally thought you were referring to yourself there. I, I and why not <laughs> right now while your podcast app is open give us some stars and review because validation is important to us the show is made possible by a generous donation by carver college of medicine student government and ongoing support from the writing and humanities program our executive producer is jason lewis our opening music is by dr vox and our closing music is by catmosphere we'll talk to you in one week